spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of Pseudo-Archaeology. Hello and welcome to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 125. I'm your host, Andrew Kinkella, and tonight, who was Ignatius Donnelly? And more importantly, is it time to bring back the name Ignatius? So, I thought today I'd talk about a figure in the pseudo-archaeology world, in the history of pseudo-archaeology, which is like honestly really fascinating to trace, you know, backwards through through time. And it's actually shocking how similar it's all stayed for about the last 150 years or more. But, you know, in terms of starting the show up, I think I find that people like to hear about what I'm doing currently because, dude, it's all about me. Okay, not everything's about Ignatius Donnelly, okay? So the semester's starting for me, right? Um, doing my college professoring gig, and I'm kind of revving all that up, and I'm actually working on several different books at the same time, which is a really fascinating journey. And speaking of books... I'm thinking of writing all this stuff down. So at some point, I might actually have a pseudo-archaeology book written by the one and only Dr. Andrew Kinkella Esquire. And I find that I actually have a lot of material just from doing this show. So it's a really nice fringe benefit that I've made notes to myself over the last you know year and a half or however it's long it's been that I've been doing this. And it's really been fascinating for me to learn about the world of pseudo-archaeology and kind of do a deep dive over time. And I, I've had the luxury of every two weeks, although it can be difficult, you know, if you're running a podcast by yourself, you're like, oh, my God, what, what am I going to talk about? Oh, no. Oh, no. I need to figure out something. Right. But usually there's material, man. And I I realized I, I haven't even done a show yet about Atlantis, you know? So I got, I got a ton of stuff. And as I kind of put it together in my head, I'm like, you know, it would be fun to write like a small, simple, straightforward, just book on pseudo-archaeology that would just be fun, you know, with the same sort of tone as this show, you know, hard hitting and serious philosophical issues like like I'm the master of. I mean, come on. No, I think it would be, you know, I think it'd be a kick. So adding to my plate of things on what to do with my free time, I think I might, I might delve a little into that, into that world. So for today, I thought I'd talk about Ignatius Donnelly. And who is this guy, right? So Ignatius Donnelly, 
I think I made some notes to myself. He was born in 1831 and he died in 1901. And as I tell my students, you don't have to worry about that at all. What matters is when is this guy doing his thing? And Ignatius Donnelly is doing his stuff in the world in the 1860s, 70s, 80s, right in that world. He's making an impact in the greater world in like the 1880s. You know, that's that's when he's doing his thing. And what is the thing that he's doing? He's being a pseudo archaeologist old school. Right. This guy, you can trace all kinds of modern pseudo archaeology stories back to what Ignatius Donnelly wrote in the 1880s. You guys, it is shocking. It is shocking how little the pseudo archaeology world has changed in 150 years. I swear to God, they are telling the same damn stories. And we're going to go through this later because luckily for us, Ignatius Donnelly wrote several books on pseudo archaeology. And you'll be it's uncanny about what he wrote in like 1882 and what you still hear people like Graham Hancock say today. It's 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 just wild. Ignatius Donnelly's estate definitely needs some lawyers to get on this. You know, it's funny saying his name, Ignatius, Ignatius Donnelly. And you know what? You know what his middle name is? Loyola. Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. I mean, what was the third grade like for that dude? Oh, Ignatius. Oh, come over. Oh, Loyola. He has no chance. You know, so I feel for him becoming a pseudo archaeologist, because if you have the name Ignatius Loyola Donnelly, what else can you possibly do with your life? I, I blame the parents. But it's just, you know, it's good that some names have died and it's OK. It's OK to not bring Ignatius back. It's, what are you going to do? What are you going to shorten that with Iggy? Oh, man. Right. It just there's 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 no way out. There's no way out. So who is this guy before he got into the pseudo archaeology world, which is later in his career? What you're going to see is this guy is like an old school shyster, just like they all are. It's just like it's just this mold that they're all in. So Ignatius in the early days, I believe he grew up in Philadelphia and he had Irish parents. So he's kind of the Irish side of things. And he went to a solid high school. He kind of had like a solid upbringing, if that makes sense, in terms of kind of academics and and that sort of thing. And he began his his young professional life as a lawyer. So he was a lawyer for in, in the earlier days. And as time went by, though, he stopped being a lawyer amid a little bit of scandal, which is completely not shocking to us at the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. I mean, dude, these guys are the same, right? And he changed from being a lawyer to being a politician. Yeah. Imagine that. Where do shysters succeed? Mm. <laughs> so he actually was pretty successful as a politician. He, he was a member of Congress, you guys. And I believe by that time, he'd moved to Minnesota. Pretty sure. He, he was a congressman from Minnesota at that time. And by that time, 
I mean, by the 1860s or so. So he's in Congress and in the 1860s, United States Congress, man, Ignatius Donnelly, look it up. It's wild. Speaking of looking things up, I am using, especially as we get into this later, I'm using a lot of stuff I found on Wikipedia. And usually I mix and match my sources all over the place, as I do here, too. Honestly, some of the stuff I knew from before. But I was really impressed with how good Wikipedia is. And I just want to give a quick my quick shout out to like Wikipedia is Wikipedia is pretty great these days. Again, I would not Wikipedia is not for students writing a research paper, but it's really great. Like if you already know a bunch about something to jog your memory or to kind of learn a little side piece or something. I really I really liked some of the stuff they had for some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today. So just a little quick shout out for them. After Ignatius Donnelly was in Congress, I believe for like eight years or something like that, he became a career politician. You know, he and he just sort of he was in like the state Senate for Minnesota. One of those guys, you know, that after they are in Congress, they just kind of stay in it for the rest of their life, kind of whatever they can get. They run for different things. And he, you know, he was elected a decent amount of times. He lost some too. But on the side, oh, I will also say over time, I believe he ran as both a Republican and a Democrat. It just kind of depended. You know, uh, it's a very interesting time. And while he had a God, like sort of a strange. In terms of his politics, what would you say? It's it's hard to compare him to modern day politics. Like, I can't just go like, oh, he was a Republican by today's standards. Mm -hmm. He was just he was more sort of just a free thinker. He was very pro women's suffrage. Look at that. You know, so sometimes you can even have, you know, people who, as we'll see, are a total shyster and fraud, but they can do good stuff too. You know, it's good to be positive. But while he's doing his kind of secondary career as a politician, after he's done with the U.S. government and stuff, he writes some books. And this happens in the 1880s, right? And his first book, I'm not, actually, I'm not sure if it was his very first one, but his first popular one was in 1882. And it's called... Atlantis, the antediluvian world. And we will talk about specifically what was all in there later, but you can tell from the title, right? This is the classic pseudo-archaeology literature. And as we're going to see, it's like ground zero for huge portions of what we hear today. He followed that up in 1883 with Ragnarok, the age of fire and gravel. You got to give it to him, man. The titles are good. And I will say, in, pseudo, in the pseudo-archaeology world, we must learn where we can learn. And their titles kick ass. You know, do you want to read Obsidian Hydration Dating and the Post-Classic Maya? Thoughts and Ideas from Four Centers. Uh, I think I might do the uh, Antediluvian World one. Can I pick that? You know what I mean? Public Outreach, yo. And both of these both of these books, of course, are on Atlantis and complex civilizations before the last ice age. I know. Aren't you shocked? You're shocked. And then he, he did one in 1888 on uh, called The Great Cryptogram that was about how Shakespeare's works were actually written by Francis Bacon. Huh. <laughs> 
And, and that's what you got, right? He he wrote some other stuff too, but those three and really the first two were his big hits. And you know, he he tried to maintain his world. He, I think he kind of had two worlds. He sort of had his political world where he was doing his career politician thing. And I say career politician not necessarily as a knock. You know, I don't mind if people stay in a career. I don't mind if you're a decent politician and you stay in it. What's the bad part about that? Now, this guy is a total fraud, like, like what you'll see over time, he, the choices he made. Oh, what, one thing I forgot to tell you, in his early days, I think when he first moved to Minnesota, I think it's 1857, give or take, he tried to start a utopian community. If you don't know what this is, there are a lot of those happening. I know some of this because actually where I work in Belize there was a guy who tried to start a utopian community there right after the Civil War. So this is vaguely the same time. There were these people. Again, these are, you know, how far away are people like this from cult leaders? You know, they they try and start this community where everyone just kind of does what they like. You know, oh, it's a new community. I have great ideas. Do as I say, you know. So he, he tried to start one of those. Um, I have. Oh, yeah, it was going to be called Nininger City. Whatever. They always have these weird names like that. You know, unfortunately for all of us, it, it just it didn't work out. <laughs> but you can see it's like shysters and frauds. They do stuff like this. You know, they, they like, are you on the edge of starting a utopian community? I know I am. Uh, no, you know, you're not. It just it sounds like crazy because it's crazy. We have to keep our thinking cap on with this stuff and remember like this stuff is just some bonkers situation. Speaking of which, when we return a deep dive, and I know you can't wait for Atlantis, the antediluvian world and Ragnarok, the age of fire and gravel. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah. That's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Welcome back to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast, episode 125. I'm still your host, Andrew Kinkella, and we are talking about Ignatius Donnelly, or as I should say, Ignatius Loyola Donnelly, United States congressman, pseudo archaeologist, and fraud. <laughs> so, oh, I love this, you guys. The Wikipedia, one of the pages, I for, honestly, I forget which one. Uh, it, I, it might just be the main one on Ignatius Donnelly. They, they described him as, quote, a crank and pseudoscience promoter. I love the word crank. 
we got to bring that back. You know what I mean? Dude, Graham Hancock, what a freaking crank. <laughs> There's a weight and a harshness to that word, and it's also funny. Dude, crank. <laughs> That's great. I also love kook and crackpot. So can we just really use, if you guys could like work on your daily language and be using crank, crackpot, and kook. Oh, I love it's better. It's like it's better than going on a freaking idiot, right? You just go like crackpot. <laughs> I love those. So speaking speaking of uh, of our of our crackpot of the day, I thought I'd do a bit of a deep dive I- into Atlantis, the antediluvian world. And of course, antediluvian means before the flood. And when you go through this, this 1882 publication, you're like, oh, my God, I've heard this before. And it's not because you read this in 1882. It's because you watched Ancient Aliens or you watched Ancient Apocalypse. You guys check this out. Wikipedia does a great job of listing down. There's these 13 kind of core ideas for this book, for the Atlantis book. Let's go through them one at a time and just have a little fun. Now, these are these are the hypotheses. Okay, here we go. Hypothesis number one. There once existed a large island in the center of the Atlantic Ocean that was known to the ancients as Atlantis. There's number one. Okay, that's hypothesis number one. Hypothesis number two, the description of that island given by Plato is no fable. That is verifiable history. Do I need to say no, it's not? (laughs) Number three, Atlantis is the region where, where humans first arose from a state of barbarism to civilization for the first time. It all happened on Atlantis. Dude, 1882, number four. All right. Over time, this this mighty nation of Atlantis spread their knowledge worldwide up the major river systems. There's a hilarious map of this. It might be from this 1882 book, though, where it's like, how the Atlantean ideas spread worldwide. You have this blob of Atlantis in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and then you have the influence. It's the Atlantean influence map. It goes up all the major rivers, right? It goes up the Mississippi and the Amazon, and that's how they populated the world. Because they're like a, you know, there's like a, they're like a sea people, so they, you know, they got to swim up the rivers. I mean, their ray guns only work underwater, so like you got to be sure to have like a water situation. That's number four. Number five. That that basically this Atlantis idea is just that's the reality and the other famous beginnings of life areas like Garden of Eden, you know, pick pick your poison in any of the major religions. Those are all kind of bastardizations or, or, or messed up remembrances of the facts of Atlantis. Number six. That that uh, same kind of thing. All the gods of, you know, pick your poison, Greek, you know. Anywhere, Egypt, so on. These are these are actually just again 
bastardized remembrances of real kings and queens from the the Atlanteans, right? So these the again Atlantis is the beginning of the story. Actually, number number seven is kind of the same same thing. Just the idea of like Atlantis also came up with the sun worshiping thing while they were at it. Number eight, that if we have to look at all these famous civilizations, if there's the oldest one that was a, like a an arm of of Atlantis, it was Egypt. So so you can look to Egypt as kind of the closest approximation of what Atlantis maybe was, right? Or they've stayed the closest to true OG Atlanteanism. Atlanteanism. Copyright 2023, Andrew Kinkella. Atlanteanism. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, friends. I have to stop this. And I'm going to go on a crusade to bring Atlanteanism to the world. Number nine. That see, sometimes... Sometimes just reading these, it hurts me. That the Bronze Age, the tools and stuff of the Bronze Age, stuff made out of bronze. The idea that you put tin with copper and make bronze. That's all straight Atlantean stuff. That's not European. That's Atlantean. And, of course, the Atlanteans were the first to have iron. Number 10, of course, that the alphabet is derived from the Atlantean alphabet. Duh. Do I even have to tell you this? Oh, and um, all the and Mayan hieroglyphics. That's Atlantean, too. Number 11. This one's weird. It's it's like. I think. I'm not sure if this is a stretch or not, but like this, that that I think that Atlantis was is like the original seed, the OG source of the Aryan race. So, of course, you have that sort of like racist vibe there. But it says on here that like it, it, as well that it's the origin of Semitic people. So, you know, I don't know, pick your poison. It, it, again, 1882, what are you going to do? And their, their ideas on different populations of humans over time. And, you know, the sort of, there's always overtones of, of racism in this stuff. Number 12, Atlantis uh, was destroyed by some sort of natural situation where it sinks to the bottom of the ocean and almost everyone died. Okay. So there's that. And his 13th, 13th theory or 13th hypothesis, sorry, is that a few a few people escaped on some rafts and and were able to at least keep a couple like bits and pieces of Atlantean knowledge. Right. And the idea of the destruction of Atlantis, that's actually survived until today. That's what the flood mythology is. It is actually just the destruction of Atlantis. So there you go. There's the 13 ideas. All of them are idiotic wrong and supported by nothing they're made up and when you look at this and just listening to that stuff aren't you like good christ ancient aliens and ancient apocalypse need to pay royalties to the ignatius donnelly estate right away i mean ignatius donnelly i i I don't know what comes or i know there's other people who did some of this stuff earlier. And you can see that a lot of it is sort of like influenced by kind of biblical references and early understandings of like Egyptian history and you know, that kind of stuff. Greek history. Uh, there, There's that influence there. But I'm like, boy, was Ignatius Donnelly the very first one to put it together like this in a single book with this kind of organization? Might be. I could be wrong on that. But because actually in later 
later episodes of this podcast, I'll do some even there's some either er, earlier guys, there's some guys that I know from like the Maya world that have the, a fun sort of combo of they worked in the Maya world and they did real archaeology and stuff, but they also believe some crazy stuff. So those people are interesting to talk about. And they I know we're in sort of the same same world a little bit. But Ignatius Donnelly, I think you got to give the guy credit for organization. You know, for putting this all down. But look at all this stuff. It is like fantastical horseshit. You know, like none of this. It's just all stupid. Like Plato's not a fable. You know, you know one thing that's fun is you take all these and they're all just, you know, idiotic. Right. Have nothing to do with reality. Made up by a shyster. It's like, I mean, I'm sure this is Graham Hancock's personal Jesus. Which one of these is like the least foolish? Like, okay. If you have to pick one, Oops. and I'm looking at my list right here. Okay, if I have to pick one that is, that you could like say is not complete, the least completely wrong one. Uh, that would be fun if anybody, like if you ever comment or anything on this podcast, like what's your, what do you think is the least craziest one? Okay, here, I'll give it this. Just that, not that Egypt was formed by Atlantis, but that it might be the oldest, what you'd call the oldest complex society or the oldest civilization in the world. There's These days, there's always, you know, it's, it's sort of an, it's sort of an Egypt versus kind of Tigris-Euphrates, you know, world, which came first. It's probably the Tigris-Euphrates world, but Egypt's right in there. So there, what, what number is that? That's number eight. The oldest colony formed by Atlantis was probably Egypt. There, I'll give them that. But then whose civilization was a reproduction of the Atlantic island? No. <laughs> the rest is just, again, aren't you shocked? Isn't it crazy how little has changed? This is, I've just given you the ancient apocalypse backstory. Oh, and if you want to add to it, let's look at 1883's Ragnarok, the age of fire and gravel. Now, what's Ragnarok about? Check this out. I'm going to read. I'm going to quote the first. There's a little paragraph of like a sentence or two in Wikipedia. Watch this. In Ragnarok, Donnelly argues that an enormous comet hit the earth 12,000 years ago, resulting in widespread fires, floods, poisonous gases, and unusually vicious and prolonged winters. The catastrophe destroyed a more advanced civilization, forcing its terrified population to seek shelter in caves. As cave dwellers, they lost all knowledge of art, literature, music, philosophy, and engineering. Oh, my. This is 1883, you guys. That's the last couple episodes of Ancient Apocalypse. You can see how Ancient Apocalypse is really a sewn-together version of... Atlantis, the antediluvian world from 1882 and Ragnarok, the age of fire and gravel from 1883. And it has not changed a tick, right? It's, you know, looking at this, looking at what Ignatius Donnelly wrote, it answers for me so many questions about how the pseudo-archaeology world sells their stuff. Because I never quite understood some of it. Like, why do you keep doubling down on this, like, advanced civilization thing and the comet? Like, what's the deal with the advanced civilization and the comet? I couldn't figure it out. Right. I mean, I knew there were other sources. Or, oh, you'd see it on ancient aliens or whatever. But, like, why this horrible story that you keep pushing? Because there's no evidence. It's like, 
That's why. And see, this is one of the true Achilles heels of pseudo-archaeology is they can't expand because there's no new, there's no new pseudo-archaeological finds. They have to go back to their original bullshit, right? That's proofs in the pudding. I read you the script, basically, for Ancient Apocalypse. No change. Just a doubling down of like, oh, yeah, the com- oh the great civilization of 12,000 years ago. No evidence. None. It's moronic. Like, I joke about the great civilization all the time. Like, man, I guess they only really liked B. Trump property. Because it's all gone. Nobody lived in Denver. Nobody lived in the mountains. Just the, the super the superhuman race of, of the ancient super civilization. Loving the beach, dude. <laughs> I mean, what? it's so awful. When we return. More awful things and wrap it up with Ignatius Donnelly. Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. All right, my dudes, welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeological Podcast, episode 125, and we are just having a quick wrap-up on the man, the myth, Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. So, what did... (laughs) This happens sometimes in pseudo-archaeology, right? You're like, just what the hell, man? Like, where do I go? You know, "Mm, tips and tricks for making things better. I don't know. You know, it's just... I got I got so little. Here's here's what we can say. Just I want to reiterate how important it actually is to know this. I'm actually really happy to be doing this podcast on Ignatius Donnelly, and and I actually found it really really enlightening to go through his stuff. And what's funny is I don't I don't like hate Ignatius Donnelly or something. Not at all. Right. I I understand he was a man of his time. This is the 1880s. He has an interest in this kind of world of stuff. And while he's doing his politicking, uh, he's a multifaceted person. So he's he's also doing this other thing, you know, and again, he's for women's suffrage. How bad can that be? He's in like 1883 and he wants women to have a vote, like an equal vote. Good for him. That's He's like 50 years ahead of the curve. So, you know, not all bad. But in terms of the pseudo archaeology stuff, I I respect him in a way because he put all this stuff. He kind of organized it and put it together as we explored in the, in the last segment. Like it took some time, although. It's all fantasy. There's nothing real about it. It's just a fictional story that he put together. Right. So in a way, you know, I do have respect for him for doing that. And he sets the template for the next 150 years. He sets the template until today, not not just the next 150 years, like until current day. I mean, again, how many times do I have to say it is shocking how close that is? The comet, the 12,000 years, all that stuff like they keep retreading this crap. And that's why. And I think I, I wonder, because it's just as I was doing this, I'm like, have we cracked the code of pseudo-archaeology? The idea being you could tell fantastical stories of bullshit in 1882 and it could sell. Like people could go with it because there wasn't modern technology. There wasn't like the ability to learn that we didn't know nearly as much scientifically 
uh, not nearly as much had been recorded. You couldn't record somebody in real time. It was so much easier to be a fraud in 1882. You know, now it's so much more difficult. Graham Hancock has to play it differently, right? He has to start by talking about how terrible modern archaeologists are and how archaeologists are out to get him and all that stuff. No, we're not. We're, we're here to tell the truth. And, and pseudo-archaeology just doesn't count. But I think the cracking of the code is they have to go back on their old 1880s stuff because that back then you were able to set that in stone, if that makes sense. You know, now, if you tried to truly tell a story like that, it's just if you tried to do something new, it is just laughable and very fringe. You know, Graham Hancock, I think, can make it into the consciousness of the general public first because he's very good at being a public persona and that's good for him i always give him props on that because he he's using old stories which now even though they're total bs and just fake they have their own fake weight just because they're like 150 years old right he's using it's so funny he he says he's not an archaeologist he's not but he's using like a the trick of pulling out a story that he's trying to give it weight just because it's old. You know what I mean? And hey, just because something's old doesn't mean it's right whatsoever. Right? It, it, but it's a good trick. He's a shyster. Just these guys are all the same in terms of like, how do I put one over on the public? I'm always the hero of my own story. I'm an excellent liar because I believe my own lies. You know, so I found that really interesting, just that like, yeah, I don't think they can really make up anything new because it, it it's not in the system and and the modern world can't allow it. You know, it, it wouldn't it just wouldn't work too ostentatious. So, uh, you know, with that said, we do find crazy new theories all the time, but I think they they don't have the same sticking power as some as some of this stuff. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, I think, I think I would end this just by saying, I don't think I will rest until the estate of Ignatius Loyola Donnelly is reimbursed by Graham Hancock for severe and over-the-top plagiarism. And with that, I'll see you guys next time. Oh, one more thing. I forgot to tell you guys that, like, we we, we want to know that this Ignatius Donnelly stuff, it's not just Graham Hancock who uses this and is motivated by this 150-year-old story. We have to realize that the idea of Atlantis itself got self-perpetuated again, even though it's ancient from Plato. The, the movie 2012 borrows liberally from this kind of stuff, even though it's about the Mayan end of the world, right? It's just since it's end of the world in general, even the term Ragnarok. I know when I said Ragnarok, you were probably like, wait, is this a Thor movie? It just, it's about sort of the end times, end of the world, that kind of stuff. And, and of course, Graham Hancock's first book, Fingerprints of the God, is all influenced by this. So... It, it just comes up again and again and again. Fingerprints of the Gods came out, what, in the early 90s or something like that? The 2012 movie comes out in 2009. It's like every decade or two or three, this story is retold and retold and retold again. I thought I'd just give you that last little tidbit of knowledge because that's what I do. Give knowledge. 
Thanks for listening to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.